Welcome. This is a human interest podcast made up of stories about people who are traveling about by train or bus. The stories, 15 or 20 minutes long, are based on actual experiences that have occurred across the United States. Welcome to Rails and Trails. I arrived in Los Angeles in the middle of intense rainfall, monsoon-type rain. The wind was gusting with a slamming force that made it a challenge to walk to the entrance of the hotel. It wasn't until the next morning that I learned an EF-1 tornado with wind speeds of 110 miles per hour had struck in Montebello, minutes from where I stayed near the Ontario airport. I'm from the central U.S., and plenty accustomed to twisters. But in all of the times I've spent in Southern California, this was a first. Looking back, it was a harbinger of what was to come for the rest of the trip, storms of one kind or another. The next morning was quiet. It's often that way after a violent storm. A placid calm falls over things, and birds chirp and sing and dance around, reminding us that it's a new day. It's still an enchanted universe. I completed my work in Torrance and ordered a lift ride from my location on Crenshaw Boulevard to the starting point for the next leg and primary purpose of my trip. I was departing from the Pazioras Plaza bus stop, east of LA's Union Station, for a five-hour coach ride up to Fresno. The lift driver was a friendly guy who studied my destination inside of his rideshare app. He had a mix of curiosity and concern as he turned to me in the back seat. You're going to the bus station? Yes, thank you. Then a slight pause. Are you familiar with this area? I understand where it is. This seemed to satisfy his curiosity for the time, and we spoke about his work as a Lyft driver. Kerman has been in Los Angeles for three years, after spending his first year in the United States in New York City. New York was too cold for him. His home country is Lebanon, and our talk moved naturally to food, tabula, shawarma, purse bread, and hummus. I asked if he is satisfied with the Lebanese cuisine in Southern California. He offered that he's plugged in with a local Lebanese community in LA. This group has been, for him, a valuable source of authentic fare. I suggested that it probably feeds him in other ways, too which generated a smile and a glance back in the rearview mirror. After a period of quiet, Kerman circled back to the topic of the bus station. Daniel, forgive me for suggesting it, but I think you try to go to these places, these crazy places. Are you trying to say that it is a dangerous place? He looked into the mirror again. Yes, I don't know. It's a feeling I have. It gives me anxiety. There are many homeless people there and crime. I thanked him for his concern and said that I believed everything would be fine there, and further explained that I selected this particular schedule because it was departing at 2 p.m. and arriving in Fresno about 7 o'clock at night. The entire trip would occur during daylight hours, which should hedge the sort of issues that might occur after dark. I also assured him that thousands of people travel through Union Station without any issues. I didn't tell him 
that a part of my interest in this trip was related to a 2022 bus shooting in which a person was killed and four more were injured. That incident occurred inside of a bus north of Sacramento. But that is a story for another day. It was the first day of Ramadan, and talk migrated back to the subject of food as Kerman was presently fasting until about 6.30 p.m. There is little debate that among religious fasts, Ramadan is a serious commitment requiring unflinching discipline. Zero food intake between sunrise and sunset for the entire period, 30 days, demands nothing less than full adherence. I got a laugh out of him when I shared an experience that Vic and I had during Ramadan about five or six years ago. A friend of ours who observes the tradition visited us for a couple of days at the lake. I related how we did not want to be insensitive or disrespectful, so we too abstained from eating during the daytime hours. This was around the summer solstice in late June, and daylight sticks around until almost 10 o'clock p.m. up north. Let's just say there was scant table etiquette at 11.30 p.m. as we began to inhale plates of chicken biryani made in a cabin kitchen with limited but ample staples and supplies. A footnote to this story finds both of us confessing to having stolen away during the daytime with a bag of cashews and a Snickers bar. Kerman pulled into the station and appeared relieved as he looked around the immediate area. This should not be too bad, he reasoned. I thanked him and offered my best wishes before stepping out of the car and a la estacion. There was action inside the station. Today was the third and final day of a much-publicized Los Angeles USD teachers strike, and large groups of strikers were moving about inside the terminal in every direction. Groups of five or six and groups of 20 or 30, they marched, they drummed, they carried picket signs and blew horns and whistles. They passionately proclaimed their message in an organized, orderly, and peaceful manner. I tended to the business of verifying my trip details before engaging with the first group of marchers I was able to speak with. There were about six of them. I greeted them and asked how it was going. It's going great, was their chorused response. It's our last day before we are required to return to classes. I inquired if I could ask a few questions for a podcast that I do. They only had a few moments before they had to go and join another group, but allowed me a few queries. What are your core grievances? And what is your ideal desired outcome? Ivanya, an elementary teacher, spoke first. We seek respect, fair labor practices, and we don't want to experience intimidation or bullying at the bargaining table. Do you have any specific examples, I inquired? Another teacher spoke. It's like the 23% pay increase they claim they have offered. It's so bogus because it's 23% over four years. Four years. They go in front of the public announcing that they have made an offer of 23%, but don't bother telling the rest of the story. That is disrespect, and it's not fully truthful. It misrepresents the real offer. They had to move on to join another group. I thanked them and wished them good luck in their efforts. I approached another group, comprised of both educators and support staff. May I ask you a few questions for a podcast? 
Of course. Is it about the historical joining together? Um, perhaps. Tell me about that. Well, if you haven't heard, this strike is historical because it's the first time that the two unions have joined together. If you look around, you can see that some of the people have SEIU on their sleeve, and some of us have UTLA. This time, we are joining forces so people will know how bad all of us have it. SEIU are the cafeteria workers and bus drivers and custodians in our school. Among this group was a teacher named Mary, who has taught elementary classes for over 20 years. She tells me that she has to keep two jobs just to get by, and that takes her away from her own four children. She is frustrated by classroom size. In some cases, the ratio is 1 to 27. She channels deep discouragement, brooding over the impossibility of giving each child the attention they require and should get. Another member of this group shares that she is incensed that the superintendent referred to the strike as a clown show. He should have to be kept on part-time status and have to live with low pay while having no necessary benefits. I shot several pics of picket signs, attempting to capture key themes from the larger body of strikers. Somos esenciales todos los días. We are essential every day. Exigimos respeto. We demand respect. Another declared, one out of three SEIU employees say they have been homeless or are at serious risk of becoming homeless while working for LAUSD. And another, WTF, where's the funding? Local matters aside, and recognizing that I don't have a horse in this race, I'm unable to constrain the deep concern for the throngs of people that I was surrounded by. These are the persons who we as a society are counting on to educate our kids, guide our kids, protect our kids, and prepare the next generation. And they feel trapped in a hopeless situation. What is the extended influence of that on the next generation during their most formative years? The purpose of this podcast and my personal mission is not to advocate for labor. But I am sincerely sympathetic to what I observed while traveling through L.A. during this strike. And as a parent of four adult children, I have a decades-long commitment to advocacy for kids. The juxtaposition of these persons' reality, set against the perverse nature of so many attacks on public education, is jarring. Flippant threats of criminal charges brought against teachers of truthful history. The banning of books that have been perfectly acceptable throughout my entire life, which for decades caused no social damage. I arrived during the Eisenhower administration, by the way. It raises so many questions about our values and our priorities. Raising absolute hell over faux issues built around political talking points is utterly disingenuous, with the kids being the ultimate victims. And it really makes me wonder what's behind all of this and where it's coming from. Where is it really coming from? These are questions that every American should take seriously. The persons educating our children deserve dignity, appreciation, and a living wage. And that's something we should all be able to easily agree on and be in complete support of. I got into a conversation with a couple of gentlemen in the vestibule. The homeless guy was looking for a place to plug in a phone charger. I was trying to find one too. The other gentleman, his name is Ray, 
described a place in the tunnel where he could pirate a charge. I should have gone along, but I got into speaking with Ray. He described why he was here, which is his daily routine. Ray is a medical equipment technician of a specialized type of technology. He begins every day at 8 a.m. at Union Station. He proceeds to wait there until he gets a call from his supervisor, dispatching him to a specific hospital or clinic. That could be anywhere in L.A. County. He then identifies which metro route, train, or bus will take him to that location. If by 2 p.m. he hasn't gotten a call, he goes home. Ray is also a Navy vet, and we compare notes on our military experiences. He's conflicted about the strike and shares that if he had it to do again, he would be a teacher. But he would not want to teach in a public school. He would teach in a Catholic school. Hmm. It was about 1.30 p.m., and it was time for me to head up to gate number eight for my ride up to Fresno. I walked outside toward Pazayoras Plaza pulling my roller bag along the outdoor stone corridor. Reaching the staircase, I picked it up and carried it up the remaining six or seven steps. As I got to the final step, a pair of police officers were restraining a woman, maybe in her mid-30s, and quickly had her in handcuffs. They turned her toward the railing, while at the same time a group of three men were moving purposefully in her direction. These guys were not in uniform. In fact, they looked like guys who were just hanging around the bus station. They wore ball caps, jeans, and faded hoodies with visible wear and tear. One of them wore a pair of blacked-out wraparound sunglasses. He was a big guy with a thick beard, and the shades gave him a menacing look. One of them carried a black duffel bag over to where the woman and the uniformed officers stood. I was standing about 10 feet away leaning against a rail with about seven or eight other people. Lots of cell calls were being placed, and other groups of law enforcement began to arrive. After a period of time, a smoked-out SUV pulled up to the curb, and a canine emerged with his handler. They had the dog sniff out the duffel bag before securing it in one of the vehicles. Passengers were coming and going. A bus departed for Phoenix, Another came and passengers boarded for San Francisco. There was a steady stream of activity, and all the while the young woman was being held. A police helicopter flew directly overhead a few times. I don't know if it was related to this incident, but it seemed pretty low to me. A passenger spoke to me. Now what's this all about? All these cops here for this one little lady. Come on, man. This seems like some shit. There certainly is a large group of them, I acknowledge. Whatever's going on, I'll bet the answer is in that bag. I moved toward the boarding area by the curb, and only a few feet away from the police car that she was being held in, with the rear passenger door open, I could hear some of the questioning. She was being encouraged to talk to them about the duffel bag, and discouraged to lie to them again. You told us somebody you don't know gave you the bag in the station. And then you contradicted yourself. See, this is how you're going to get in trouble. The bus to Fresno was now about 15 minutes late. Passengers were getting antsy. It arrived about 2.20 p.m., and the driver had us load our bags. Front compartment for Bakersfield, back compartment for Fresno, was the directive. Once completed, the driver announced that he would be right back. In 10 minutes, 
He had to get fuel or we would be pushing the coach up to Fresno. With that, he pulled away from the loading lane to the dismay and bewilderment of most of the passengers. I spoke with a gentleman who had boarded in Long Beach and was required to get off the bus here and wait. He was traveling up to Bakersfield to take his 92-year-old uncle to a medical procedure the next day. He was grumbling about being forced off the coach and that he had to stand on a concrete curb. He stated that it would have been better to drive his Chrysler 300. That machine floats, and at least I'd be comfortable, not like this bullshit. He told me it has three TVs in it, two in back and one in front. It was getting close to three o'clock, and the driver still had not returned from refueling. A young professional woman stood beside me. She seemed concerned that he still had not returned. Something is not right. Look at this. She showed me her tracking app, which showed the bus had already arrived in North L.A., the next stop. I couldn't imagine that the guy would load all of our luggage and then take off without us. I guess there were 30 or 40 of us waiting to board. I shared with her that I do a podcast on bus and train travel, and that I was certainly getting content for a new episode. She was very curious about it and had several questions about my show. Eventually, she told me that she works at a Fresno nonprofit that hosts a few different streaming services, including a podcast, and shows that provide public access where she lives. It ended up being a terrific conversation, and she is clearly a knowledgeable expert in her field. Around 3.15, the bus finally reappeared, and the driver lined up everyone to board. He wanted everyone in a single file line alongside the bus. His sharp demands riled people and did nothing to help with the passenger's frustration. About the same time, the young woman in cuffs was being whisked away in the police vehicle to face whatever her immediate future might include. This time, there were two bus drivers. The first one was apparently in training, and he was accompanied by an instructor. This guy looked like an old-school type of bus driver and wore the traditional hat you would associate with a driver from 30 years ago. He was grumpy. Eventually, we were loaded and leaving the station fashionably on time, a mere 90 minutes behind schedule. The 90-minute delay had an exponential impact on our real-time delay because we were now forced to travel north in late afternoon traffic. We creeped our way out of downtown toward North L.A., and it was slow going, but we eventually arrived, dropping a few passengers and picking up a couple more. We discovered a shared crisis on board as it became clear that none of the phone charging outlets were functioning. Many of us were already low on charge, and this resulted in a high level of collective anxiety. A young woman who works as a truck driver was seated between the Chrysler 300 owner and myself. Her patience was running about as low as her battery, and she didn't mind vocalizing her view of this situation. Magically, miraculously, the gentleman produced a supply of barbecue chicken wrapped in foil, which he shared with her. This assuaged her impatience in a fortuitous way. I wouldn't have been surprised if she'd gone off on the old driver. The Chrysler guy shared some of his history. He has nine children and lives in Long Beach. He used to live in Bakersfield. He's been into motorcycles his whole life. His uncle used to be heavily into bikes, 
He's too old to ride now. At one time, he owned over 10 classic models, hardtails, choppers, sportsters, a duo glide. That's who got him into it. His uncle's motorcycle name was Smitty. That's what he still calls him. His last name is Smith. His own motorcycle name is Papa Cricket. I thought about it after he told me that, and it made sense. The name seemed to fit, and he fit the name. He was good stuff, and I knew it. We journeyed on through San Fernando and began the ascent on I-5 toward Tejon Pass. There was still a lot of traffic, but our movement was consistent now, without the starting and stopping. I observed a small group of what I thought were possibly farm workers. They mostly kept to themselves, traveling light. Two males looked like family. Father and son? Perhaps an uncle? I made eye contact a couple of times, but only found the vacant gaze of the unknown. Or maybe better, the unknowable. The younger one was forced to find a seat in the rear of the bus, separated from his elder, who was a couple of rows in front of me. As we finally came to a stop in Bakersfield, and after everyone had disembarked who was doing so, the younger one came up and said something to his traveling mate. The elder lifted a half-gallon carton of milk to his mouth and drank deeply before surrendering what remained to the boy. He eagerly finished what was there before returning to his seat. A series of thoughts raced into my mind. I considered how unthinkable that would have been only a few short months ago with COVID-19 unless you had no choice. The next moment, I was standing on a tee box at a golf outing a few years back. One of our foursome produced an elegant-looking flask, the contents of which, according to its owner, was straightening fluid. He ceremoniously passed it around to each of us. We lifted it to our lips. I reflected on the difference, socially speaking. The only meaningful difference, to me, seemed to be need. It was obvious that the young man was thirsty or hungry or both. We golfers, meanwhile, were engaged in an odd exercise in privilege. Back when we boarded in L.A., someone had already taken my reserve seat in 3C. At that point, I wasn't going to sweat it, and I ended up in row eight. That person got off in Bakersfield, and so I moved forward and reclaimed the seat for which I had been ticketed. We had a couple more hours ride and I'm not sure it was the right decision. Now, only one seat separated me from the instructor-driver, and that guy talked incessantly. Not only that, his style of talking included saying everything twice. It's going to be a long time before these fields dry out from all the rain. Yep, going to be a long time before these fields dry out with all this rain. There won't be time tonight, but tomorrow I'm going to get some catfish in Fresno. I won't be able to tonight, but tomorrow I'm going to get some catfish. I was feeling fatigued by now, and this guy was driving me crazy. But he ended up saying something that really stuck with me. He was telling the apprentice driver about a recent route he had driven, and he used a long wind-up to tell him about a guy who had ridden on that bus. You know what? This guy was a real estate broker. A broker. Not a salesman. He was a broker. You know a broker makes a lot of money. They can do things that an agent can't do. It just keeps running through my mind. What's a broker doing riding on the bus? What's a broker doing riding on the bus? 
It just doesn't make sense. Several things began to make sense to me. I reflected on the gaping space between what this tenured employee of the bus company thinks about their customers and what it means to be a brand ambassador in contemporary parlance. And what about engagement, another closely measured indicator? It's easy to understand why bus travel often feels like a hurting experience. It was past 9.30 when we finally arrived in Fresno. We were advised that the station was already closed. I looked at my phone with 4% battery life and hoped I could get an Uber before it ran out. The app showed his arrival in seven minutes. I closed the app and waited, hoping he didn't cancel, which would start the process all over again. He didn't, and I got into the Uber for my hotel. Halfway there, I watched as my screen went black. Hey everybody, this is Daniel, and I want to thank you for spending some of today with Rails and Trails podcast. The work of Rails and Trails is to bring you stories based on actual human events that have happened while out across the country traveling on trains and buses. The mission of Rails and Trails is to look for the sacred in these human interactions. So far as possible, the stories are presented in an unvarnished manner. Only first names are used to preserve anonymity. I am guided by the idea that God comes to us in the grit and grain of our daily lives. And I have no doubt completely missed plenty of those visits. The illustrative account in Matthew 25 shows me what this looks like. And it's a text with the capacity to make me shudder. Each person introduced in this podcast is a human being and is due the same dignity as all of us. I am grateful for your interest in the podcast and humbly appreciate all supporters and subscribers. I love hearing from you. If you haven't yet subscribed, I hope you will do so today. Rails and Trails is my creation and is produced by Second Half LLC. Thanks again.